This is Advice Amplified, and this episode's guest is Phil Blows. Yeah, that, that being said, if I was going to start from scratch now, I would first of all just build an AI avatar. Phil is passionate about reshaping finance through innovation. CEO at Streaks AI, co-founder at Accrue. He's an author, a strategist, and a blockchain expert. That's how these big businesses are run, and it's you know good luck to them. But it's I don't think it's how the business of the future runs. I think we end up with millions of two-man businesses in the future. In this episode, we'll explore how AI is already affecting our lives, how you should be using it in your business, and where the future is going to take us. We'll also dig into crypto and leave the episode with some actionable next steps. My, my concern would be that a lot of advisors have been very negative on crypto, so getting them to reverse their opinion is never going to be easy because they're going to look a little foolish. All I ask in return is that you subscribe to Advice Amplified, and maybe, if you could, share it with someone who you think might love it. Phil, welcome to Advice Amplified. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking that. Like, what have you been up to? <laughs> Quite a bit. I'm trying to think, like, one of the last times we probably sat together was in the, um, what's it, like the Pret in Leamington Spa. Yeah, yeah. And that was pre yeah. any kind of startup stuff. We were both sitting there saying, we're going we're gonna to start something. <laughs> we're going to do it. Um, and yeah, look at us. We actually followed through. Yeah. For better or worse, I think I've still got the <laughs> the Google Doc that has like thirty startup ideas, and I, I reckon there's still some gold in there. Like, definitely, <laughs> definitely. We've uh, there's going to be some there's going to be some good stuff in there. So since since then, I mean, there's been I've probably we've I started off. Um, I think the first thing I I really founded was a company called Accrue, which is a digital asset exchange, and um, you obviously you're quite aware of that because you helped me some of the initial initial prototyping. Uh, you know. Built on the premise that most people who were holding crypto weren't earning interest on their on their coins, so we were keen to make that a very simple process, and that's what we did. We built it. We raised some initial seed funding. We actually ended up doing um, well, going public via kind of an acquisition through a special a SPAC, basically in the UK. Um, raised uh, just under ten million in the process. And it was a crazy little quarter. We grew to over 50 million in assets in the first three months. And um, yeah, 30,000 plus customers. And then hit a very steep wall in the digital asset market where things went very, very quiet for quite some time. So we, over 22, had quite a quiet patch. And you know, as we as we streamlined the business and we actually looked at a couple of other sort of uh, new projects during that time. And uh, obviously where I am now, which is sort of came out of that period, which is a um, it's an AI startup that is listed on the London Stock Exchange called Streaks AI, which is super interesting business, uh, helping to digitize influencers, which we can get into, because I think that's something that's very relevant to financial advisors probably over over time. And yeah, it's been, um, you know, crew, the first business has started to pick up again as as the market has as well. So it's been yeah it's been an interesting journey just doing some fairly unusual things in finance whether it's AI or or, or kind of cryptocurrency. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've, it's absolutely wild and definitely you know in, in the space I'm in right now, talking to financial advisors, looking at building out tech projects and delivery roadmaps and building stuff, and the expectation is still very much we need X amount of money, a team of a hundred people running for this amount. And you, you built a crew, launched it, got that amount on the platform. Like how, how do you do that? 
No, I mean, I, I'm always amazed and I, I've, I've invested in a couple of startups as well. And one of the biggest red flags I see is when they kind of first meeting, they boast about having a 10 man tech team because you're like, something's not right there because you're, you're clearly either hired very inefficient tech people or they're not talking to each other, whatever it is. Yeah. We, we built a highly scalable platform and say on with you know, all of the automated KYC um, you know, transaction monitoring, compliance monitoring, front and back office, did all of that in three months uh, with a team of two. Um, I will just caveat that with saying a very, very exceptional team of two. Um, you know, Louis, we've worked with him uh, um, at, at, a, at a previous business, but he is one of these engineers who is, you know, 10, 10x, 100x what you'd get from an average developer. That, that was kind of the linchpin, being able to own our own tech, build it quickly, have a team in place that was uh, that, that allowed us to do that in, in record kind of time. And just having a very clear picture in our minds what we wanted to build from day one. Yeah, keeping the spec, the, the scope of it really tight, keep yeah. really focused on what you're trying to do and just, just go at it. Yeah. And I think like fundamentally, unless you live through that and experience it, I don't think people believe it can be possible. I know the n- number of people I've spoken to kind of, you know, I, they've said, oh, we've been building this platform now for a year, spent two million quid on it. I mean, so you speak to big, big companies, you know, banks, things like that, and they they will tell you they they can't do anything. Just spinning up a project costs them twenty five million. Yeah, you know, yeah. which is it sort of leads to that phrase, yeah, that's too big to innovate. There are so yeah, many yeah. companies that are too big to innovate. They are just so set in their ways. And I think increasingly as we're seeing the pace of innovation increase with AI and the automation we're seeing around that, these companies don't begin to respond. They all just gonna, they're going to be left in the dust. And people will increasingly just self-serve because it's getting easier and easier to build these things now. Yeah, yeah, totally. With, um, you know, GPT store, you can now like in half an hour with no code whatsoever, build your own like custom, uh, like GPT, launch it, monetize it literally a year ago two years ago that's just unfathomable yeah and I, I saw a great demo recently where you know the game with the platform you got the ball sort of breaking the bricks someone drew drew a picture of that with the bricks and said look this and just wrote on it this does this this does that gave it to the gpt vision and it programmed programmed it and it literally created the game in under two minutes when people are sitting there saying oh we you know we haven't got the capacity to do code it's like you can do it now. It's so much easier than it previously was. And you have to do it now because it's going to be demanded of you and you're going to be left in the dust if you don't do it. Yeah, you're just not, you're going to get outpaced by someone who is. Yeah. So if you were, and I'm not, I don't think we need to scare anyone, suggest you are, but imagine you were going to become a financial advisor tomorrow. Like, how would you, with everything you know about AI and, you know, Outfire and, and, and everything you've, I guess, amassed, even about building tech and building startups, what, what would you be? doing to like get an unfair advantage i guess i mean there's there's a couple of points to that i think because product and tech is becoming so easy to build or at least faster to and cheaper to build i think you're going to find the real moats and advantages are actually around distribution so having an unfair distribution advantage is going to be what what kind of makes startups successful going forwards yeah that, that being said if i was going to start from scratch now I would first of all just build an AI avatar, like straight away. So I would just, you know, and this is something that we've got with Streaks, which we could someone could come on our site and build it on our on our platform now, and it would take them a minute, you know, to do. So 
what I would probably say is, okay, well, I what is the training data set that a um, financial advisor needs to know? You think of all of the boring documentation that you've got to learn as you go through all of your exams. All of that is transcribed somewhere sitting on the internet. You literally highlight that, copy and paste it into the AI's brain. You then say, what kind of personality do you want that advisor to have? And you'd say, well, you know, I want them to be empathetic, understanding, but also quite, you know, knowledgeable and firm and, you know, giving giving straight views. So you, you program that personality and then you launch it. And you would say, here's, you know, this is the start of my business. It's an interface right there. Ask my chatbot anything. If it goes, you know, it's never going to cross over into advice with a capital A, but it's going to be there as my kind of like informational tool going out there to try and, you know, win win earlier customer conversations that I can then convert into paying customers. Yeah, that's something I could do. You, you can spin it up in minutes. And so if you haven't got that on your website now, like why haven't you? Yeah, and I think it's also going to appeal to probably the next generation who are going to be inheriting all the wealth that we're currently seeing. Yeah, they're going to expect that. So that's what I would be starting off with is just having a very, very easy to use, um, you know, like a method of contacting me, of engaging with me. And yeah, that's probably probably where I'd start, and then build around that. I think I, th- I mean it's super interesting because the amount of times I've you know, spent years of my life building automated workflows, automated journeys that can supposedly handle you know customer demand at scale. You know whether it's a robo investment journey, you launch it, and then nothing happens, or three mm. people go through the journey, and and like like you say, the the real challenge is getting its eyeballs, isn't it? How do you yeah. get people engaged, attracted? And you don't need to worry about AI giving advice when you're doing that. You're mm. getting people interested and, and, and kind of on your platform, aren't you? Yeah, it's got. You've got to find some sort of like method of just dragging eyeballs into it from day one. It's it's all about distribution, and you know I think that's how. Yeah, could you tie? And there's going to be smart ways of doing it. You know, picking individual niches and giving maybe help in very simple niches because again. Now I'm bang on about too much AI. You know, like I talk about that personality. You could literally build ten thousand advisor personalities in you know in 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 a day, which you could then start pointing at certain areas around. So if you just said, okay, there's a Reddit forum right here that's talking all about you know fire, for example, you know retiring early, you would build a firebot that has like a knowledge of you know, the strategies people use. You could even take all of the history of that Reddit, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, like subreddit, yeah. Subreddit, yeah. and just put that as the brain. So, and that's, that's your lead gen tool. So, you know, if you're interested in, in learning more about FIRE or getting a bit more help over and above what this bot can tell you, come and speak to us. And that's where, you know, you, you start an environment. Easily, you could do that in literally any area. You know, real estate investors, stock investors, you know, all of these different areas you know, create something specific to that niche, own that niche with your bot, and then, but always have that ability to kind of drag the the appropriate users back to your business. I mean, and that's not something that's difficult to do. It's just about you know spending a you know, bit of time understanding where the customers you want to target are currently active are currently active online. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like I mean, this is something I've literally been spending a lot of time on over the last kind of couple of weeks, just thinking that as these things become more and more easy, like what's the defensible moat around them? How do you kind of overcome that um, kind of existential threat that you could feel from, I suppose, being a knowledge worker where, you know, my intrinsic value to the world is I know stuff and I'm a protected guardian of it. 
And that's just been removed away with, like you say, a minute's work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you be you, afraid? You be think very be afraid. afraid and get ahead well, of it. <laughs> I think you need to get ahead of it. I mean, the the really scary thing isn't where AI is now, it's where it'll be in 12 months. I mean, bear in mind that this was something, you know, it's only really been 2023 that this has been around in any kind of scaled capacity. We're not going to suddenly hit kind of a, you know, um, you know general intelligence, artificial yeah. general intelligence, AGI anytime soon. You know, people will say it could be, could be soon, but, you know, just argument's sake, it's not. What it very much could be is super intelligent in specific niches very quickly. And I would have thought like, engagement, conversational engagement will be something that chatbots and AI is going to get incredibly good at way better than the average advisor within 12 months. So, you know, on that regard, you're going to have like, okay, because people are always saying, oh, you know, I don't talk to a chat box. It's not real. It's like, well, at what point does that chat bot like better than the human? It might not be real, but it's actually better. It's more interesting to talk to. It's got better context of the conversation it's had a million similar conversations before and it's analyzed which ones went well and which ones didn't and it can remember all of them perfectly you know these are the sorts of things you're gonna have to compete with and it's um so if you're an advisor for the first thing that's going to go is you know automating all of your tools that kind of stuff and like you know admin onboarding you know portfolio construction all of these sorts of things that should that should already be automated if it's if it's not you're running in an inefficient practice right simple as that the next thing that is okay well for that's automated, well, I'm all about the building good relationships because that's what I've done for the last 25 years. Great. That, that is a defensible niche now. It probably won't be in a year, 24 months, because you're going to have bots out there that are better at building relationships with humans than you because they've had a billion conversations. Yeah. And I don't want to paint that that like you know, doomsday scenario, but people are going to have to work out how they fit into that landscape because that is what's coming. And um, you know, I, and it's not even just like the way you engage it. We were looking now at just like real time video rendering where choose what you want your advisor to look like you know and how odd they are you want to have morgan freeman advising you you know if he's licensed his image he'll be your financial advisor talk to him whenever you want and then you know we've got one of the things that that we're really excited about is if you think back to 2008 when you had the iphone come out you had you know and because we all of a sudden had a great camera you got instagram we had gps come out so you had uber I think the next big leap that's going to be combined with AI is what you're seeing with the, you know, the Apple Vision Pro, where you're going to have a headset that's like, you know, just completely change your you know, spatial computing appears. And you're going to have a conversation with your financial advisor on the sofa next to you who won't be there, but there'll be a, an AI that, you know, for all intents and purposes, is there interacting you like any other person. So, you know, these are the kind of, and I, yeah, these are the kind of things we, we've got to sort of plan for because they are a couple of years down the, down the road. And I think m- there'll be advisors now sitting there who maybe aren't winning business, but will win a lot of business because they're going to design the companies that take advantage of this. And they'll just steal, steal the customers off the people who are just stuck in the, stuck in the past. So I, I'm sat there as a 50-year-old advisor who's, you know, making some good money, got a client bank thinking, nah, it's not going to happen do you do you reckon twelve months it could the the rug's going to get pulled? I think I think you know if you're an advisor saying I've got five ten years left and I've got a customer base maybe been with me for twenty plus years, that's clearly going to be sticky. And yeah, I guess it depends on what what kind of needs that group has coming coming you know coming down the pipeline. 
you know, is it if they're just sitting there and you are an advisor charging one percent and you've just sitting on a portfolio and let's be honest, you're just taking them out for dinner, you know, twice a year, and you know you're basically a glorified kind of um, babysitter for this person's this person's money. Well, that is you know that's what that's what you know people might just stick with. But if they have a need coming down the line, say they need a mortgage you know, or they need some sort of insurance product or, you know, life insurance product, whatever it is, you know, when you have these really engaging services out there away from you, they probably say, well, you know, I'm happy having that portion with my advisor, but, you know, I'll probably do this elsewhere because it's just easier. You know, I just have a chat with someone online. There's no, I don't have to send them any, email them any paperwork, fill in any forms. My advisor's stuck in the past. That's what, that's the only, you know, it's always a pain to deal with them. I like them because I've been dealing with them for 20 years. So I'm, why I deal with them, but you know, new stuff. I'm not gonna not gonna compound the the pain that it is dealing with them. So I think you'll just see bleed, like services bleeding away, and then at the background there'll just be this march of people trying to get advisors to justify why they charge the money that they do. Um, you know, and you just get these low cost digital solutions that are getting better and better every year. And at some point, it'll just be like, well, I've got a million pound portfolio with my advisor, and I'm paying him. Or her twenty grand a year, and I could, you know, I've got a, a a robot version of the same thing, and it costs, you know, a tenth of that. Some point, you know, that that you know, you're not you're not providing any value. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I guess it's that that kind of pace as well, isn't it? That because of the mad mad scale that can be achieved, that it could actually you know happen that quickly. Um, whereas you know. So we we I guess worked on um and I'm gonna sound like an absolute light here, aren't I? But um was it 2015, 2016, 2017, like the last like AI hype hype wave. And we yeah. were <clears throat> I think at the forefront of a lot of what was going on in the industry with AI then, and nothing happened with it. And no, it's true. And 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 again, this this was down to if you think about the distribution models that we had, you know, it's very difficult to get out there and just like, you know, warm up the market and like direct. So, you know, that's one thing, but then there are gatekeepers. And I think that's what we, the problems we ran into sales cycles, where you're speaking to a bank that have got a thousand advisors there and, you know, they they take three years to get through procurement and then they ditch the project at the end because the person who was originally talking to you starts political infighting and um, has left, you know, and that's, I mean, that's, and that's fine. They're there. That's, that's, that's how these big businesses are run. And it's, you know, good luck to them, but it's, I don't think it's how the business of the future runs. I think we end up with millions of two man businesses in the future, not concentrations of massive, you know, um, banks and things like that, because you're going to have a two person business is going to be able to do a hundred times the, the output that they previously could. So that, that's where I think you begin to see you know, more breakthroughs because there's just it's just easy to get it out there and you haven't got these kind of gatekeepers. I mean, I, yeah, it's, I'm always amazed at the people who have got money with some of these institutions and they're getting no value from it and they couldn't point to it. It's just, yeah, so I think, I think that, I think people will wake up to it and it will be these AI bots that drive that revolution because they'll be, they're infinitely scalable and they can talk to you on a variety of different channels and tell you what you're doing is wrong. And they'll get very good at convincing you that what you're doing is not right. So that's what we're going to see down down the road. I think I mean, there's almost a bit in there about, um, you know, what you were saying about accrue and 
you go back five, 10 years and you probably couldn't have achieved that rate of development with that size of team. But now we've got so much infrastructure that AWS or Google, whoever else are providing, you've got platform as a service and you can, yeah. with a small team, authentication is a solved problem for you. You've got so many APIs out there that you can just hook into to do KYC or whatever it might be that actually you don't need to go through those gatekeepers anymore. You don't need to find someone who's got 10 million pounds to spend on a, a tech project. Yeah. Like you say, two, two people in a bedroom somewhere can hack some stuff together and get out of there. That's it. It really is the same. And for whatever reason, you see people still kind of stuck in some of the older development methodologies, which are more expensive. But yeah, I mean, our, our CTO has done a fantastic job, especially on the architecture side. And that was always one of the challenges he kind of said. He was always saying, I don't know why we architect the, these businesses the way we do. It's it's really expensive and slow and difficult to to change. So, you know, we kind of threw the gauntlet down him. So, well, if you if you think we've been doing it wrong, you show us how to do it. And he did. And he's blown everyone away with how quickly he's managed to build platforms going forward. So yeah, you've got to got to stay on top of what's what's developing in the space. And as you say, it's it's only because of that that we can now build more in a in a more lean way. Like how do you do that? What's your like personal kind of go-to's to keep on top of because this stuff is moving so quickly. That's what freaks me out a lot of yeah. the time. <laughs> I mean Twitter. Let's be honest, what X. Yeah, right? yeah, or, I mean, yeah. It's just <laughs> I'm gonna sound like a like, you know, a bit of a I don't know, um a, a bit difficult here, but like I just I've stopped found myself less and less watching news and you know and and sort of more traditional routes. I just not getting the value from it anymore that I did before. So yeah, you know, I'm not saying that's because it's biased or whatever. It's just slow. And, you know, it's not so I you know, you, you you find the right people, the right voices out there to to follow and engage with. And that's that's how you stay on top. You know, crypto was it was like its place to be was was Twitter. AI seems to be the same thing. That's where all the big breaks come there. Obviously, you know, Elon Musk now in charge of it is you know, is heavily into AI. So he's, you know, there seems to be, it seems to be the best place to learn about it. Um, and I, I just love it because you just see someone posts 10 minutes after, you know, the the developer day at OpenAI recently, someone was posting, say, look what I've built. Here you go. And like, so you can see instantly what's possible. I mean, there's no mainstream media would ever have done that. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's moving beyond the traditional sources and going going where the developers, where the, where the talent interacts. Yeah. And um, so you mentioned like things with uh, like a, a crew, the, you know, the, the, the interest and excitement is really ramping up again. And I suppose because we've been in an interesting place with crypto, like how do you see that? I, I suppose what I'm really interested in is every time there's the kind of natural oscillations in our market, we, we come into a more kind of open, well understood, accepted position. And it feels like the next one's going to be a big one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it has been so cyclical, and you know you've seen these cycles over the since it since you know the last like twelve thirteen years. Um, you know this one, and, and and what's interesting, it always feels like this time different. Yeah, you know? um, and this time feels different. Yeah, because previously, you know, there's there's no getting away from the fact that was that the history of crypto has been littered with, you know, poor regulations, scams, you know, just just like hype cycles, these sorts of things. What we're now seeing is a lot is a lot different. You know, first of all, a lot of the use cases that came out of kind of the 2020, so 21, 22 kind of, um, sorry, 2021, um, decentralized finance sort of boom, a lot of them died. And the ones that have survived are now 
beginning to find real institutional adoption and use cases. JP Morgan and I think it was this week talking about, you know, one of the big blockchain um, based trades that they just did, you know, really using blockchain tech for the first time to revolutionize the way we settle transactions and things like that in in the institutional market. So we're seeing so institutional adoption is coming in. The big thing is gonna is the fact that there is the first Bitcoin and soon ETH ETFs appearing. Yeah. I mean my my view remains that the majority of people who own crypto will own it via an ETF. People don't want to self-custody these assets as much as the community wants them to. And, you know, unbanking yourself, all these sorts of things. There'll be a small population that does that. The majority of people will own these assets through through ETFs. So we're about going to see that. And who knows when it will come. But viewers, it's probably going to come probably before the 10th of January. And the people who are launching these ETFs are, you know, they're kind of BlackRock <coughs> They are fidelities. They're the, you know, we'll see Schroders. We'll see all, all of the biggest asset managers in the world. And um, all of them need to, will be will be obviously marketing these ETFs, but there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. And I think it's 19 million have already been, been mined. So they're going to have to buy them from somewhere. And there's never going to be more. So I think that will have a, you know, we know that the supply side is fixed. And I think this will have a positive impact on on um, on demand. So I'm expecting to see quite a, once that really starts to kick in, people say, okay, I'm going to divert to two or three percent or five percent of my monthly investments that I, I've been making into into other ETFs, and now going to go into my Bitcoin ETF. We're going to see that sort of ramp up, and it's just going to have a, a very very strong, I think, um, you know, impact on price. So. We're seeing the professionalization. We're seeing you know, the regulators now with the endorsement of this ETF is quite a big step as well. And then the ability for just the average retail to like click a button on their their wealth portal and buy Bitcoin in a, in a way that where their cash already is. You know, these are the sorts of things that are really going to drive price and drive adoption. So I think you know we've had a tough 22, 23, but. You know, we've seen the last month or so with, you know, crypto is in Bitcoin bottomed at sort of sixteen thousand dollars. It's now, you know, trading around thirty-seven thousand. It still remains the best performing asset class of the last ten years. So people can keep bashing it, but it's like, look, if you're my financial advisor, you've missed the best asset mm -hmm. class yeah. for the last ten years. Yeah. So let's not make if it's going to be that of the next ten years. That, you know, at what point are you going to say you're wrong? I don't care if you think it's a scam, like. You've missed one of the biggest wealth creation events of the of the last decade. So if you sat there on the sideline, just sort of, you know, bashing it, could ask yourself why. You know, at what point are you wrong? Um, so I think we're going to see that begin that kind of attitude begin to kind of go away as as things get a bit more institutional, a bit more professional. And when, when do you think we'll see? You know, so so <clears throat> financial advisors like recommending those ETFs as part of a you know the core portfolio and, and actively constructing portfolios off the back of, of that. Because I think it's still the majority of, of what we're hearing is, you know, advisors taking a strategy of you know, do what you want with this, you know, 5% of your portfolio if you want to um, do some spread betting or do some, you know, whatever yeah. whatever you fancy, fine wines, antique cars, crypto, it's in that kind of bubble. And it feels like there is that opportunity to, to pull it into the, the kind of, yeah, core portfolio. Yeah, I, it's, it's going to, I mean, 
Galaxy is a is a listed company um, that that are four and a half billion of assets in the crypto space, and they've they've just released some research around trying to show how it's impacted the you know the model portfolio by bringing crypto in, and you know the biggest impact is sort of the zero to one percent sort of allocation because it you know again you add it to any portfolio when it's the best performing asset class, it's going to have a huge impact. So um, I think you're going to start seeing that that bleed in. Um, my my concern would be that a lot of advisors have been very negative on crypto, so getting them to reverse their opinion is never going to be easy because they're going to look a little foolish, um, yeah. especially if their their customers didn't do anything on their advice and so on. Yeah, now's the time to buy at all time highs, you know that sort of thing. So yeah. there's going to be a bit of like of a you know humble pie type that's going to have to happen. But um, I I think it's I think you. Know, this isn't something you'd ever put the majority of your net worth into, despite me having the majority of my net worth in it, <laughs> yeah. but that's for different reasons. Like having allocation to gold, like having an allocation to alternative assets of, of, of other other types of alternative assets, it should be part of that portfolio. Clearly that's not financial advice, but it's like that is, you know, that's something that a lot of people will will do. And I think what you're gonna find is as the millennial generation inherits the kind of assets that the previous generation pass on. A lot of them have been invested in crypto, and they've done it through, you know, means outside of their financial advisor. So to be able to appeal to that that class, I think you've got to try and, yeah, you know, it's got to be part of your your repertoire. Yeah, yeah. it's a really interesting like, idea that that sort of um, embarrassment or hangover from you know previous attitudes or previous statements, which you know pro- probably makes sense. It's, it was new, it was you know scary and all those kind of things, but it's it's got to reach a point of, of stability. Yeah, I mean it's it's a difficult. I mean I completely understand why you know it it was different. It was scary. It was you know it's not something that you know, and the community didn't do itself any favors as well. It was a very alternative community. It probably remains to be a very alternative community, very kind of anti-capitalist, which is clearly not the background of most financial advisors. So yeah, it it's understandable the the you know the reaction that it's had. So it'll be interesting to see how how they overcome that. Yeah, but you're not necessarily. Predicting the barefoot, no shoe wearing, live your life entirely on on crypto, Bitcoin kind of future for for the next few years. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there's people who've been living off Bitcoin and have completely unbanked, unbanked themselves for a long time. You know, one of the biggest issues with with blockchain and with Bitcoin has always been like transaction costs. You've got something like the Lightning Network for for Bitcoin, which is massively reduced transaction costs you know buying a coffee if it costs you know on a, with with ethereum if it costs you a couple of dollars of transaction fees is not it's not a good option so you know these scaling solutions we've seen it in ethereum with things called layer twos that have come in that have you know, radically decreased the uh, the cost of transactions and there is something on the ethereum roadmap in the future which will decrease the overall um your transaction cost but the, the, there's a few things to overcome before it becomes like live your life on bitcoin um, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest issue that we've seen and the thing that we, you know, which really got Bitcoin flying again was the, um, was the Silicon Valley bank crisis. Yeah. Everyone just suddenly, I think it just sort of flicked the switch in people's minds. They were suddenly saying, hold on, this whole fractional reserve banking thing. I didn't realize that that's actually how things worked. And, you know, the majority of banks are only holding a very small proportion of the of their you know of 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 the money that I have you know deposited with them, and it's um I think that sort of terrified people. It kind of opened up the the, the fundamental narrative to Bitcoin around you know 
removing money from state and making it a you know making it something that you know you should you should be in charge of your own your own money and not have someone tell you what you can do with it uh so it's 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 been fascinating to see that kind of you know in in a year where there's been all these kind of banking crisis you know, the monetary base of the US going absolutely berserk you know these are always the sorts of things that play into the bitcoin narrative you know we saw we saw the fed borrow an additional trillion dollars in a month recently which you know yeah, it's up to 33 yeah. trillion dollars at really what point is it end yeah. it's yeah. like i think you know all these sorts of things have got the you know the the bitcoin maxis kind of smacking their chops you know they <laughs> they will they they like the look of it so i don't know we'll see i mean i feel like we've been talking a lot about crypto um if if you're listening to this and didn't know how to get started, where to start, how to keep safe, what what would you what steps would you advise? It's it's uh it will always be classified as a high risk asset. So obviously you've got to you know look at it and put it in whichever bucket and understand how much you want to risk, you know, with 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 this asset class. And then it's a case of okay, well, there's a there's a number of very, very professional platforms, crew being one of them, um, which you know you can very simply deposit either sterling or euros or dollars or whatever your your preferred fiat currency is and then buy you know bitcoin and it will give you a, a quote just like you would with any other kind of foreign exchange transaction or stock purchase and um you know most of the the big platforms have the ability to give get exposure to 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 crypto assets as well so if you have money already on a on like a leading brokerage platform then you can you can purchase Bitcoin or or Ethereum there as well. I don't think you'll have to look very far to be able to to do it. And then it depends on how you then want to hold that crypto. So a lot of the more traditional platforms won't allow you to transfer that Bitcoin off. However, you know, platforms like Accrue, which are more crypto native, you know, we will say that if you want to have your own wallet, which you custody, and you've probably heard all the horror stories of people losing their, you know, their crypto wallets in in um you know, in landfills in Wales and things like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's where you, you know, that's where you can hold and custody your own assets. And that's kind of the beauty of, of crypto is that you, know, you have your your wallet, you have your recovery phrases, and wherever you are in the world, you can access that, you know, that that, uh, that wallet and spend that money as you see fit. It's, it's, it's sort of a couple of questions. It's like, you know, first of all, how much can you risk? Which kind of platforms you got access to right now, and how do you do? You want to custody it yourself, or do you want someone else to sell it for you? And uh, you know, there's a number of different options you can use on 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 the basis of of that. I guess. Um, I mean, thanks. That's that's really super interesting. I'm, I'm thinking like same question, but with AI. Like, if you were, so I, I think there'll be a lot of advisors or you know related roles um, sat there panicking, probably head in the sand. Where would you start if you you know complete novice? Is it have a little play with chat GPT because I, I I know plenty <laughs> plenty of people in in our industry that haven't even done that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that is there's some real like aha moments, and I think you know using one of these la large language models like chat GPT for the first time, you're like this is ridiculous, and I think you'll you know the more you research it, the more it will give you ideas around how you can utilize it in your business because clearly every business is di different. So I think that first sort of interaction with one is interesting. Another kind of aha moment for me was when I actually kind of replicated myself using AI, yeah. where you know you get by using my my voice, uh, like excerpts of my voice, created an avatar that talks just like me, but it's much more eloquent because you know it's yeah. like has a 
so you're using AI to generate the text and using AI then to, to, to make it sound like yourself. And then increasingly having them a video of myself talking, you know, and you can do all of that by sticking little bits of the building blocks together. And, you know, there's several different language models you can use, several different, um, you know, voice replication tools and also video tools that you can use. And, and that's not a process that is particularly difficult for a developer to put together. Um, and at the moment, it is still a developer. You'd need to sort of do that to go from, as a, you know, so if we do this again, maybe it won't be me here. You can just yeah, have a chat yeah. with my, you know, my, my, my digital avatar. I'm sure they'll be trained on this conversation and others that, I've, that, that we've had. So I think you've just got to, you know, go down the rabbit hole a little bit and start with something like chat GPT, because it is, it is incredible. Ask it something interesting and then, you know, find some, find some accounts on Twitter, see what interesting stuff people are doing on it, because that's, that's been the incredible thing and giving it a personality. Cause I think the biggest surprise that a lot of people have seen with AI is that everyone thought it'd be really good at just doing the rote tasks. Yeah. But it's been cre the creativity that it comes up with. It's been really shocking. I mean, I, there's a, there's a, um, a discord channel called mid journey that you have to pay yeah. for. And you literally just describe any picture, anything you want, and it will, and then it'll produce it for you in, in like you know thirty seconds. So, you know, it could be the prime minister riding a bucking bronco in you know somewhere. You know, just keep adding it, and then you've got to say, you know, I want it to be a cartoon, I want it to be in high definition, four K, whatever it might be, and it will produce it just just based like that. And it's yeah, I mean that that stuff just blows you away the first time you see it. I think that will that will kind of hopefully give people a lot of inspiration, a lot of ideas as to how they can apply it to their business. One of the things that's really impressed or excited me recently is is the fact that you know you go back five, you know, ten years. If, if you wanted to do anything in AI, you had to hire people with PhDs, people getting in there doing you know building custom models, tr huge sets of data, yeah. probably long, long amounts of time without necessarily any tangible inputs. Whereas now you can grab a lot of these existing models and, and plug them together and, and you're off. Yeah, it, it feels like we've kind of hit escape velocity somewhat because where it is now is is amazing. You know, I think I think now it's like it's quite scary where it is now and just how how useful it is now as a tool. So, you know, you've got to assume it's going to be twice as useful in a year. Like processing power will double in a year's time. You know, the the, the models that we're using will be exponentially larger. And that kind of um, the, the larger the model, generally, the better it is at kind of predicting what next needs to happen, so to speak, in, in, in sort of basic terms. So it's um, that's the really crazy thing is that it's already you know from where where it is now. I'm like this could replace like so many different jobs already, and we're just getting started. And I think where we're going to see it go next is it's it's going to be it's going to be superhuman level abilities in certain niches. And I think, you know, persuasion might be one, which is equally scary because you don't want to be persuaded to do something that's you know, not aligned to your interests, which is where all the alignment conversations are are coming from. And the UK is trying to trying to be at the forefront of that, that kind of debate. So, yeah, it's going to, I mean, that's what's going to be really exciting is just where we're at in the, in the not too distant future. How do you see that playing out with you know, financial advice, super heavily regulated market? You need to be able to, evidence how you arrived at decisions, where recommendations have been made, and you know, there's advice or guidance with a, a small, small A or G or whatever, um, and then then proper advice. It feels like we could really quickly, easily stumble into a position. I mean, people are already using ChatGPT and Bard to yeah. run their financial plans and you know answer questions for them and and get some really good outputs in, in lots of places. Um 
Yeah, and I think we we we're both aware of this that too much emphasis is put on advice, and yeah, I it's only a very small subset of the market who really truly appreciates the value of advice, you know. And I think it's only really for some of the more complex things it's actually even necessary, you know. I I would argue that it when yeah I I I shoved the majority of my portfolio in an S and P index tracker with Vanguard. And I would challenge 99.9% of financial advisors to outperform me. You know, it's seven basis points, fit all in fees. And, you know, I've been fortunate that also sterling has decreased in against the dollar over the last you know, 15 years. So, you know, and people might argue, well, and it's not globally diversified or whatever it might be, but it kind of is because it's the S&P and, you know, global cash flows and all, all these sorts of things. And, you know, as someone at my age, I should be 100% invested in equities. And because, you know, it's there's a big cost if I'm not. Um, obviously, I have that risk tolerance and that sort of thing. But it's so, I mean, for me, I don't really see much value of advice for myself other than things like, you know, when it gets more complicated, like things like life insurance, critical illness cover, these sorts of things, if I'm not getting them through work, that's where I've got value out of advice. But for a big chunk of it, ChatGPT could do that all day long, you know. And, um, and obviously, then as you approach retirement and we, you get into sort of more difficult conversations around, you know, what you want to do with your with your pot. That's clearly something where advice will play a large part. So I think the way AI is going to, it's going to make that kind of middle section easier. It's going to make the cost to serve people with less money much, much lower. So hopefully the overall impact will be a, a radical increase in maybe not, you know, maybe not financial education, but people will just be listening and just do what they're told, you know, because that's fundamentally what most people want out of there from their advisor is like, look, I can't be bothered to read the detail. Just tell me what to do because I trust you. At some point, that that's sort of what I think most people want and what they're going to get from, you know, from um, probably you know, GPTs. Not in not not too long. Yeah, I think that you know that that power of persuasion is going to be really interesting because, like you say, most. I see a lot of financial advisors being more like coaches to say, you know, stay on the plan, don't deviate. I know you're wobbling right now, but this is the thing to do. And ChatGPT can make those, that infinitely scalable, I guess. They're infinitely scalable, but they're also kind of infinitely personalized chatbots. So, you know, if you've been talking and you've been saying and showing that you don't have much of, you know, uh, an idea around what what's happening with your money or all the financial markets, these sorts of things, then your bot will learn with you and it will know how to talk to you about finances in a way that you appreciate, understand and engage with. And so, you know, that's a talent that some advisors don't have, you know, that they can only talk at one specific level. This will allow people to be able to, you know, cho choose choose the level of competence you want your your kind of or level, or, you know, the complexity level you want to have the conversation at. And that's, you know, that's, that's one of the core tenants, I guess, of consumer duty is making sure that, um, you know, communications with clients are tailored to their level of understanding, their preference around or, you know, um, biases for consuming information, relaying information. No, and I'd, I'd be interested to know how the average advisor kind of really gets to know. And I'm, I imagine there's a questionnaire or something, but, you know, the way a chatbot would, would do it would be to be able to very accurately say what level of financial competence something has over the course of all the conversations that they're having and all the kind of sentiment analysis and other kind of analysis you can do in the background on on the data. I mean that that that's going to be long term something that's probably you know more defensible 
than just, oh, they filled in a questionnaire five years ago that said they were at this level. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Super interesting, super interesting. Well, um, I mean, my mind's blown. Um, I really <laughs> enjoyed that. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for really, really enjoying the chat. Pleasure. Thanks again for having me.